Morning Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. All right, well, I'm going to be uh, preaching from Genesis 1 and 2, so I'm going to start by reading that scripture. If you want to open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. That's uh, at the beginning, the very first page, so it's easy to find. Let me start with that, then I'll pray. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed and according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation Plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day, and God said, let, the, the, there, be, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with the swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above and across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the sea and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds livestock and creeping things and beasts according to their kinds and it was so god made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind and god saw that it was good and then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man 
in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird in the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth that has breath of life, I have given you every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and all the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed to his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and for good food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of, the good, of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it, it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was Pishon. It was the one that flowed around the whole Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of the land was, was good. Del, delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, and the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows out of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded him, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then God said, And then God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken out of man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife we're both naked and we're not ashamed. Let me pray. God, we love your word. Um, we love that you spoke truth into your prophets and your saints 
of old and you put it in this book. That's why we can sit and listen to, to somebody like me blather on for two chapters and it's good. And we believe it. I thank you, Lord, now that you have spoken decisively in your word. And I just have some comments, Lord. I pray that the, the words that I have just read would really resonate um, in us more than anything. But now as we go and we look at this beautiful image of you as creator in, in your image and how you create us in, as a community, um, we pray that uh, we would just grow, that we would be changed, that we would make a resolution to grow into community in this church, through D groups, through life groups, whatever it is, Lord, right now. I pray that you would prepare the hearts in this room, that people would not just be sitting here, but right now that you would begin to prepare them to respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. My whole life, I have longed for close friendships, um, especially with dudes. But for some reason, I can't hang on to those relationships. I can tell you all a whole list of guys that I've been close with that just not so much anymore. Nick, Matt, Cody, Phil, Justin, Joseph, Sam, John. I think a lot of guys struggle with this because deep down in our hearts we know that what we need is community. We need to be vulnerable with other men, to belong. But it's like we just can't trust people quite enough right? We just can't quite keep our finger on the pulse of deep community. And that's not just a male thing, all right? Um, because the fact is, deep relationships are the one thing that human beings long for and need most, but also the one thing that's the hardest for us to find and hold on to. Am I right? The secular Scandinavian worldview, you know, European basically says that that friendship and community is the essence of life. Okay, but but when the only thing you care about ultimately is relationships, how do you keep from being needy and clinging to those relationships, right? I, and I think the proof is in the pudding here. You look at the great cities of the world, like Copenhagen, where we're surrounded by a density of people, right? And there's still drama and conflict that leads people to being isolated and depressed, right? But the religious world, on the other hand, says, basically admits this, that, that friendships and vulnerability, it's kind of volatile and hard to keep, keep, keep your eye on. So, so what we need to do is we just need to buckle, buckle down, right? Focus on the family, focus on, like, marriage. But often what happens here is that we leave intimacy and vulnerability as kind of a, an optional thing. And people end up still feeling isolated and perfunctory, there's a big word for you, in their relationships. Um, and I think if we're honest, this is where we're at as, as Christians. We're more in this, in this religious kind of world with relationships. Um, we want community, right? We want this, but, but the way we do it is by telling people, just do it, right? Like just buddy up and be accountable and just do it. Um, and so rather than doing that, although I will challenge you guys today to consider that, I want to talk a little bit more about the why and the theological kind of foundation for community today, okay? So that's what we're going. That's where we're going. And my question is, why? Why should we dig deep into community? Why would, should we become disciples who are making disciples? And my answer is simply this, because the image of God 
is expressed primarily in community. We become truly human when we belong. Okay? So three points about this topic today. First off, the missing piece. Everybody say the missing piece. Good. Second point, no man is an island. Say no man is an island. An everyday glory. Everybody say everyday glory. Good. Good. First off, the missing piece. Human beings feel alone and isolated and estranged. Um, and we see this in this text. Chapter 2, verses 18 says, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So the form of Genesis 1 and 2, I wanted to read all of it for a reason, because it's basically this building poem or song that has these repeated like motifs that keep coming back. It's really art, art, art happening right in front of us. Um, and so you see God as an artist, and, 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 and the, the structure of the, of the poem really shows us what it's about. Additionally, God is seen as an artist in Psalm 105, um, where it says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth. Kind of connoting an architect, like God is laying the foundation. He's drawing the blueprints, right? And he's the designer behind the world we see. And Genesis 1 has this repeated theme. Did you catch it? He saw it and he made this, it was, right? He made the land, it was good. He made the creatures, it was good. He made the sea creatures, the birds, it was good. But then in Genesis 2, what happens? We kind of slow down and we zoom in particularly on the crowning of creation that God has made, man and woman. And what does it say? I already read it, verse 18. All of a sudden, it's not good, it's not good, it's, not, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But now he changes, it's not good, right? So it's showing us, the text is cluing us, this is important, right? This is a, where everything has been headed, okay? And this not good comes before the fall, before chapter 3, before any sin has entered the world before any mistakes have been made. So how can there be something that's not good? That seems strange. What happened? If God is the architect, did he make a design error? Is there a missing piece? I used to work for a company in the States called Metal Design Systems. And I would work with a lot of architects all over the country in big firms in the, all over the US. And architects get a bad rap in, in, in the design industry, or the construction industry, sorry. They're kind of the idealists. They get the idea of what a building should look like, and they say, hmm, that seems fun, right? Um, for example, there's a library in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, in my hometown, and um, it's one of the famous, actually, most famous modern libraries in America. It gets tons of awards, um, and it's because it's wrapped entirely in aluminum panels um, that have all these, like, variegated depths and made of different materials. You've got, like, Swiss pearl, and you've got, like, aluminum composite material, and and um, not, if that wasn't complicated enough, there's these panels that have LED lights that sort of like pop, blink on at night. And it's like, you can just imagine the architect sitting there, you know, like, <laughs> this, this seems fun, you know, right? And he's just drawing the blueprints and then and he gives it to the engineer and he's like, make that happen, right? And the running joke at Metal Design System was about this building is that we basically just screwed a bunch of metal panels together just to get the architect what he wants, you know, like. It's probably going to all fall off one day. We don't really know. But, um, so is that what God is like? Is he a bad architect? Did he just say, man and woman, oh, that seems nice. Or sorry, ma ma mankind, that seems nice. And then he makes Adam and 
and then he has some sort of miscalculation. Should, should God have hired a better engineer? Sometimes it can feel that way. Sometimes we can feel in life like God has missed the mark, right? Like we've been left here on earth and we just can't seem to get what we need in community, right? Like there's no plan. In the book, The Stranger by Camus, um, we're invited into the inner monologue of this French legal clerk named Merceau who lives like a detached robot. He lives like this. He feels estranged, right? And um, he ends up, basically, long story short, he ends up murdering a guy on the beach for no apparent reason, and he feels no remorse about it. So he ends up in jail um, because he's murdered this guy. And he's sitting in jail, and he's still not feeling any remorse, and this, this chaplain, this Christian chaplain, comes and visits him to, to offer him the hope that he can have, even though he's going to die um, what hope do you have? He's sitting in the jail cell. And then let me read to you how this character, Merceau, responds to the chaplain. It says, then I don't know why, but something inside me snapped. I started yelling at the top of my lungs. I insulted him, and I told him not to waste his prayers on me. I grabbed him by the collar of his Cossack, and I was pouring out on him everything that was in my heart. He seemed so certain about everything, didn't he? And none of his certainties was worth one hair on a woman's head. He wasn't sure he was alive because he was living like a dead man. But I was sure about me, about everything, sure than I ever could be, sure of the life that I've lived and the death that was before me, and that was all I had. But at least I had as much hold on it as it had hold on me. That's intense, but this character feels estranged, and he's just living life with no moral compass, right? He has no time for God. He feels alienated, alone, but he feels like he needs to kind of pull himself together and take a grip. He feels like the misfire in an engine. Do you ever feel that way? Like something is missing from the picture that God made you to be? You can imagine a puzzle, right? You got all that, and there's this missing piece. Yeah, that's, that's how it is, I think. That's how it is. So that's our first point, the missing piece. But secondly, I want to talk about how this text answers that for us. No man is an island. Everybody say, no man is an island. We become truly human when we belong to a community. When we belong to a community. Chapter 2, verse 25 says, The man and his, wo- and, and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. You see, when Adam and Eve met, it was instant flourishing. Pure, shameless, guilt-free vulnerability. In other words, Adam finally felt that he belonged to someone, with someone part of a community and see god is looking for man to have relationship in this text and he's not just looking for social stability right with like the institution of marriage or or even sexual pleasure i would say it, it couldn't simply be social stability because when god was marching all these animals up before him okay so this is before everything happened right but he could have mated like with one of the animals right like god could have made that happen okay um but there was a combination of, of sameness and otherness in Eve, in the woman that exploded when he saw her. He, he spits a poem on the spot, basically, into a sense of belonging. And this, this is what God was really after in all of creation. Again, the text leads us to believe that. Good, good, good. Not good, bam, Adam and Eve, right? And... Um, I want to be careful here because it's like, well, that's about romance, right? No, not right, okay? 
I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, but I want to I talk, talk to you, I'm going to give you a story first, okay? So there's a 2006 movie called Stranger Than Fiction, starring Will Ferrell and Maggie Gyllenhaal, I think. Um, this guy named Harold Crick is an average IRS agent, okay? He's an accountant. He's monotonous, boring, repetitive. But one day, all this changes when Harold begins to hear an author inside, inside his head, if you've seen the movie. And, and this author is narrating his, his own life. And, and the author is, is, is being extraordinarily accurate. And Harold recognizes the voice as, an, as some author that he saw on TV. But when the narration reveals that he's going to die, Harold has to find the author of the story, and ultimately, he finds his own life. And um, he has to co convince this author, author to change the story because he, he meets this woman. Um, and that's what really changes him. He meets this woman. Um, and her name is Anna. And he has to go to her little bakery to audit her, right? He's an IRS agent. And he has to audit her. And the bakery is struggling. And, um, but what ends up happening is rather than him auditing her, she audits him, socially speaking, right? She challenges his lonely life. Um, and she challenges, like, the entirety of, of, of who he is. And they develop a deep, intimate relationship. And that belonging transforms Harold's life. So if you've seen the movie, it might ring true to you, but it's not a great illustration because the change that Harold experiences, again, comes in the context of romance, right? Harold has this journey from, from not being good alone to a flourishing man in the image of his creator. But what I, what I want to say to you now is that it's not just about romance, okay? Everybody say that. It's not about just about romance. Total buzzkill. All the wives are like, come on, seriously, why'd we come to church today? Um, it's not that God's image is lacking in Adam because he hasn't been married, okay? Or because he hasn't had sex, which is often what the world says. But because there's only one of him. Harold Crick is not ultimately lacking because he hasn't had a girlfriend but because there's only one of him we see we are truly the social animal okay you see dogs aren't like this have you ever asked a dog um you know hey buddy we're uh we're supposed to be best friends you know and i've been wondering how do you think our friendship has been lately you know buddy's gonna look at you and go huh I think dogs know better. I think Buddy's thinking, can you give me my food now? You know, like, this guy needs to get out more. You know? um, so what, 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 do I, what do I mean by this, though? So one from zero to one. Well, we have this challenge, right, that the text describes of, of Adam being alone and alienated. But God calls to experience his image through community. You see, here's, here's the good news. Here's the bottom line of this message. God is a community. God exists eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons in one God. And the Father is gladly looking at the Son saying, you look like me and that's beautiful. And the Son is responding in kind and he's saying, you look like me and that's beautiful. And that back and forth of relationship is churning the Spirit into a dance of belonging and unspeakable joy. And this makes our God different than any other God. Do you know that? C.S. 
See, Islam and, and mono, like kind of traditional monotheistic religions have this singular essence that's called God. And it's kind of this untouchable unity, right? And so relationship and community comes later. Um, Hinduism or, or, or pantheism has a chaotic cacophony of, of powers and gods that have no basic unity and community. They're all just competing with each other. Secular materialism promises community like this, friendship, but then tells us that when we experience love and friendship, it's nothing more than a misfire of our biological hormones in our brain. And so it has no meaning. You see, but with Jesus, community and love existed before God the architect laid the foundation of the world. That's why he laid the foundation of the world. That's why he made the design. That's why he made the blueprint was to write into that design his image, the image of a communal, happy, joyful God. All other worldviews out there put community second at very best, okay? Christianity tells us what we know to be true in our hearts, that what we need more than anything is this sense of vulnerability and belonging. It's our deepest need. It's always dangerous to create analogies about the Trinity, but I want to return to the architect analogy, okay? So we said the Father is the designer, he's the architect, okay? Well then how about the Spirit? The Spirit is the engineer, he's the one who he says make it happen, right? And Jesus, he's the blueprint that God writes, okay? And the three of them working together, that is what makes God, God. And God wants to show the world this image of himself through us. But here's, here's the gospel, guys, which starts with bad news. We fail, we fall short. I'm a great example of this. I don't keep the type of deep relationships that I long for, right? I don't love people like I love myself, right? We sin and we separate ourselves from God himself, right? We become alienated from him. And this creates a greater separation between us and God and between people. And this great, you know, this, this, this puts us in an alienated place. But God in his great love does not leave us there. Amen? Amen. That is the crazy part. And what I'm about to say is crazy, but it's not as crazy as it sounds, so just bear with me. In John 17, before Jesus dies, he actually prays that the Father would open up the inner life of the Trinity and let us in. Let me read it. Verse 21 of John 17. I pray, Father, this is Jesus, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. So that the world may believe that you, it, uh, sorry, believe it that you have sent me. You see, the sin that we commit forces us away from the original community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we were designed for, community with him. But rather than leaving us alone, Jesus lets himself be separated from his Father, right? On the cross, what does he say? Why have you forsaken me, right? And then what happens is when he lets himself he lets the, crin the Trinity be cracked, but that crack becomes a door, and he says, come in, come in, join this. How does that sound? Crazy? Crazy good. I'd like to recommend a book on this topic because I can't do it justice right now, and it's kind of crazy, and it's, it's by a guy named Joe Thorne. It's called Delighting in the Trinity, and it takes some of these ideas and it really brings them down and makes them practical, so you want to explore more of that, um, I, I, I would encourage you to check that out. Um, 
He's also got a podcast. But what I want to close us with is our last point, everyday glory. Everybody say everyday glory. So this is what, what I have to say, um, everyday glory. Therefore, hospitality and community is the key to discipleship, okay? So we read Acts 2 earlier, and I wanted to just read another little piece of that here. Acts 2.44 says all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. And here, check this out. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Did you ever read that and go, <laughs> that sounds utopian? Yeah? Come on, you can admit it. It's a safe place. We're all Baptists, so we can hang out, you know. You're kind of thinking, man, this is like the Garden of Eden here. You know, it's like paradise. It's like, really, is this going to happen? Yeah, you're right. It's like the Garden of Eden. That's the point. <laughs> See, the image of God started in community. And, and, and then it was broken in the fall. And, and, but, but when it's redeemed through the church, it comes back to that place. See, the fact is, people are walking around Copenhagen all over the world, really, like Will Ferrell in Stranger Than Fiction, like Harold Crick, right? Or like single moms who have been wrecked by a bad man, and they trust the church about as far as they can throw it, right? So how are they going to come here or somewhere else, meet you, and find hope? Well, they need to be discipled, right? FIBC has been talking about discipleship this month, okay? But what is a disciple? Someone who is really conforming their life to Christ, right? Someone who's really changing and following from the heart, draw, drawing deeper with God and, and, and becoming more like Jesus. But, but how does that happen, okay? This is what I want to get at. For, first of all, they have to meet this God, right? They can't meet the old judgmental curmudgeon of religion and legalism, right? They have to meet this God. By the way, God is happy. Did you know that? God is the happiest being in all of creation. And his creation is an overflow of that. Okay, but okay, so we meet this God, they get saved, okay, let's praise the Lord for that. But then, what does this look like? Do they just need to come to church and, and get a bunch of Bible information, listen to me, blab? Is that what they need? No, because they'll still be isolated, right? You can testify to that. Uh, maybe they need to join a small group, Bible study, and then they can just, you know. But the fact is, we can go to a small group and just check in, check out of that just as easily, can't we? Right? What they need is someone to be with them in the hard places of their life, in the warp and woof of their life. They need hospitality. They need to be in someone's home or maybe in a D group where they can really trust and know and, and, and confess and be vulnerable and be long <laughs> belong belong with them and then also belong no, playing with um, so I have this friend that I've known since high school um, we went to high school together in Iowa and I went from Iowa to Chicago to go to Moody Bible Institute and 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 this friend of mine she went to North Central in Chicago and we got to stay in touch a little bit this friend of mine she grew up with an alcoholic dad um, she struggled a lot with that and her identity in high school. But she, she was a Christian, but not really much of a disciple. Um, 
she started partying her, her first year of college, right? She went away to the big city, and you can probably see where this story is going, right? Right? No? But then she started attending a church that had an adopt-a-college student program. Um, this family was a part of the church, and they signed up to have her in their home a couple of times a month. They wrote her notes of encouragement. They sent her gifts, and they just loved on her until she really felt like they were her family away from home. And over the span of the next year, her sophomore year, her whole life turned around. She became a rock-solid leader for Jesus on that campus. And she's now working in college ministry on that same campus, ministering to students just like her. So this, this is what I would love to see at FIBC, if I may be so bold. Um, I would love there to be a groundswell of these type of groups, D groups. You know, it doesn't have to be defined all the same, but life groups, D groups. And relationships like this friend of mine, right? For the groups that do exist already, the life groups, to start reaching out, maybe to, maybe to the college students, I don't know, um, people who are isolated in the city of Copenhagen, isolated accountants like Will Ferrell and Stranger Than Fiction. And for these people for, to have their lives completely turned upside down by a sense of belonging and an experience of community in your groups that they would say when I was with them I felt truly human for the first time how about that and for those of you who who come to church but you don't belong here you you know you know what I mean I pray that you would become you would become truly human that you would see that God's image is expressed first in community primarily there and that you would be discipled and join a group. And once you join the group, that it would really become your family, right? It would become your home away from home. And you would find yourself going there and doing what they do in a lot in Denmark, right? You show up for an hour, and it's like five hours later, and nobody's expecting it'll be over. Like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's belong together, okay? So I think Eric and I talked about this a little bit. I'm putting the bar, like, way up here, like, let's get radical, you know? But, like, I think the commitment for the D groups is, like, 90 minutes a week, though, so that'll be easy for him. So as we close, let me just remind you of the gospel. I've already said it once, but God the Father cracked open the Trinity into alienation on the cross, and the world reverberated, right? And he did this to pay for our sins, and he did it willingly at Jesus's request, but that crack that he broke into the Trinity became a door, a door of invitation for us to belong into that community to be forgiven and reconciled to God. Just feel that today as you go from here. Just ponder that tomorrow on Monday, and that will help. It will give you strength. It's not going to be perfect, but it will give you strength to pursue discipleship through community. Dive into the depths of the Godhead, of our, of our God, and then you can dive into the depths of community. Let me just pray to close. God, we love you. We thank you for today. For your word for this time, um, I pray that you would just move in our hearts now as we close this time, as we get to eat some cake and um, celebrate Pastor Eric. I just pray that, that this would be a, a sense of community and a tasting of, of your intertrinitarian love. Um, I pray that the group, for the discipleship groups especially, I pray that there would be many leaders that step up for, um, for, for, for men in particular. Um, as I said, admitted, it's, it's just hard for us to be vulnerable. I pray that, that, that those needs would be filled and that the, there would just be a, a wonderful, um, joyful, 
um, fruition of, of groups, um, discipleship groups, and, and that belong to each other. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.